HR Trends is a weekly podcast featuring interviews with leading experts in the field of human resources. Produced by Unum, HR Trends draws from the deep bench of subject matter experts at Unum, as well as industry partners and national HR thought leaders. This program is not intended to constitute legal advice, and it's for general educational purposes only. If you need legal advice on a particular situation, please contact your own attorney. Hi everyone, welcome to HR Trends, a podcast that features the industry's leading experts on complex HR policy, compliance, best practices, and people management. It's designed to help guide HR teams through the critical issues that matter today. I'm your host, Claire Morin, and my guest for this first series is Ellen McCann, Assistant Vice President of Legal Counsel at Unum's Employment Law Group, and a national expert on leave management. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Claire. How are you? (laughs) Good. So for the first series, we are focusing on leave management. Leave is such an important, complex HR topic going into 2020 as we are now. Uh, A lot of changing state laws, complex federal, municipal laws. For the next few episodes, we're going to look at the top FMLA mistakes and suggested best practices. So so taking them one by one. Um, Today, we're going to talk about eligibility errors and improperly determining eligibility. So this is sort of, why is this your number one mistake, Ellen? This is a number one mistake because if an employer does not appropriately determine whether an employee is eligible, everything they do after that will be a mistake. So really you wanna start at the beginning and when your employee either tells you they need leave or gives you enough information that you should know that they might need leave, you want to make sure that you're determining that eligibility appropriately because that really is your first step in FMLA compliance. And I've been looking into sort of employee eligibility and it does seem very complicated. So I'm glad we're broaching this um, and and really looking into it today. So I understand there are four eligibility requirements. Maybe we could go through them one by one and sort of simplify this. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of the FMLA, and, and you raise a really great point, Claire, is when you first look at it, it appears pretty simple. But if you look a little bit more, you realize that it is very complex. And almost every topic under the FMLA really is complex. There are hundreds of pages of regulations. So be careful about just going online and seeing you know, that very quick synopsis of what's there. You really need to dive a little bit deeper and hopefully that's what we're going to do today. And so we're gonna start talking about these eligibility requirements. And so in order to be eligible to take FMLA or, or uh, leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act, uh, the employee has to work for a covered employer. They have to have worked a certain number of hours within a certain amount of time. They also have to have worked for the employer uh, for at least 12 non-consecutive months, and they have to work in an office that's big enough to be covered under FMLA. So those are just kind of generally what those four requirements are. And then we can talk a little bit more about what do those really mean. And so you said, Do they work for a covered employer? Who is a covered employer? Right. So a covered employer under the FMLA is an employer that has had at least 50 employees on their payroll 
for each working day for 20 weeks in the current or preceding year. So we promise no legalese. I apologize. <laughs> that is the that is the exact definition under the FMLA, but but we can break it down um, for you a little bit more to, to you know to make a little bit more sense of that. But basically, what it boils down to is once an employer is covered for one year, they're covered for two years because we're looking at either the current or preceding year. Um, and when you want to look at those twenty work weeks, you really are just looking at your payroll. Did I have for 20 work weeks this year or last year at least 50 employees on my payroll? And that's really the standard you want to look at. And it does sound a little confusing, the current or preceding year. Can you give us an example of a company making this initial mistake? Sure. So very common smaller companies, they may, let's say in 2019, the company has 60 employees. And there are 60 employees for at least that 20-week period. And then you get to 2020, they're starting off the year, they've had some maybe downturn in business, they've laid off quite a few employees, that employer is down to 40 employees. That employer may say to themselves, well, we're down to 40 employees, so we're not uh, an FMLA-covered employer because we have to have 50. They need to be careful that it's 50 in the current or preceding year. And since they had 60 last year, they are still a covered employer this year. So very important to remember that you want to look back to the prior year to see if you were actually a covered employer. So when an employer is counting employees, which employees do they do they count? Full-time employees? Is it beyond that? They really count any employee that's on the payroll. So the employee does not have to be full-time, doesn't have to be an FTE to be counted. It's any employee on the payroll. If the employee is on leave, they still count. The only employees they do not count are their expats. Uh, so anyone that is assigned to be overseas but works for an American company would not be counted. They do not have to count independent contractors, but they do have to count their temps. So if they have temporary employees that are assigned to them from an agency, they will count for the employer uh, count of employees. Right. Wow, it's so complicated there. Uh, what about the secondary uh, eligibility requirement? So the employee um, has to work at a work site or an office where there are at least 70, or at least 50 employees within a 75-mile radius. And this really is to give the employer some relief that they don't have to provide FMLA leave to employees at very small offices where that leave may be a considerable hardship. So let's say I'm an employer with 50 employees spread across the United States. I don't have any one office with that number of employees within a 75-mile radius. Does that mean I'm not a covered employer? No. So there's different standards for employer coverage and employee eligibility. And employers really need to make sure they understand the difference. So in order to be a covered employer, the employer has to have 50 employees throughout the United States. They do not have to be within 75 miles of one another. But in order for their employee to be eligible to take leave, the employee has to report into a work site where there are at least 50 employees within a 75-mile radius. So if you're that employer that has 50 employees spread out throughout the entire country and you do not have 50 within 75 miles, you're still a covered employer, but you may have no eligible employees, which is a very interesting concept and something employers really struggle with. Right. You, you can imagine them thinking, well, why, why do I care if I'm a covered employer? I don't, it's, I don't have any employees. This is eligible. Right. And, and the reason they care is because 
as a covered employer, they are still responsible for providing notices to their employees, having the poster hung in their work sites, even though those work sites are not eligible, which is very interesting <laughs> uh, for the employees that work there, knowing that they can't take the time. But the employer still has to send out their notices, which we will talk about in depth in a later episode. So the employer still has obligations, but they may not have any eligible employees at the moment. What about, you know, nowadays so much remote work is happening. A lot of people are working from home. So maybe, you know, say if I was a remote worker, I'd be thinking, well, you know, does this mean I'm never going to be eligible for FMLA? Because, you know, definitely nobody in the company is within 75 miles. Remote workers are treated a little bit differently when it comes to what work site are they reporting into. So for regular employees, I'll say I'm using air quotes and no one can see them. Um, but for employees who report into an office, that office is their work site. It doesn't matter where their boss is. It doesn't matter where their work comes from. If they physically go into an office, that's their work site. But when we start talking about employees who work from home, their work site for FMLA purposes is not their home. It's the work site that they report into or receive assignments from. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's very good one to watch if you have a remote workforce. I think those were the first two sort of requirements. What what's the third one? The third one is that when the employee starts their leave, the employer has to determine whether the employee has worked for the employer for at least 12 non-consecutive months. So you said non-consecutive months. What about if somebody you've employed before left the company, then you rehired them? Do you need to give them credit? You do, depending on how long ago that was. So the employer has to give the employee credit for any employment prior to a continuous break of seven years or less. Mm. So you want an example of that yeah, one? Because that's, be <laughs> that's a little complicated. So let's say you had an employee who worked for you for six months six years ago, and they've worked for you as an employer for six months this year. They have met the uh, tenure requirement to be eligible because combined, that's 12 months of service. Got it. And then the fourth one is hours worked. Is that correct? Correct. So what's the, what about leaves here? Um, is it, is it the same as the tenure rule? It's different from the tenure rule, and this is something that's, again, important to keep in mind. So the employee not only has to meet the tenure rule, which is the 12 non-consecutive months, but they also have to work for you for a certain number of hours. And they have to work for you for 1,250 hours in the 12 months immediately preceding the start of leave. And when we're looking at the 1,250 hours, we're looking under a Fair Labor Standards Act um, criteria. So the employee has to actually physically be working for you. Unlike the tenure where the employee can be on leave and if they're on the payroll, they still count, here the employee actually has to be working for you. So any time that would count as hours worked under the wage and hour laws will count here for the 1,250 hours. Um, and so things like leave ordinarily here would not count with one pretty significant exception, and that is military leave. So under the military leave laws, if you have an employee who's on military leave, you have to treat them as if they were at work if they apply for FMLA. So let's say they come back from active duty and they've been gone for six months. You have to act as if they were working for that six-month period. Give them credit not only for the tenure but for the hours they would have worked 
Other than that, it's you don't have to count leaves of absence towards hours worked. And do you ever have situations, or you're, when you you know speaking to customers where they've hired temp workers, and and how would that work? Would you have to give them credit? the hours work? They do have to give them credit. And this is something we see most employers do not understand because it is very, it doesn't make sense, right? Um, but if you have a temp to hire program at your company and you hire that temp from the program, you have to give them credit for that time that they worked for you as a temp, even though they weren't on your payroll and they weren't your employee yet. Yeah. So an example of that might be, let's say you have a 90-day temp to hire program at the end of 90 days, you evaluate whether you want to have that employee hired as one of your employees, and you do, and that employee goes ahead and applies for leave later on in the year, you have to treat them as if they were hired by you on day one of their temp assignment, even though they weren't technically your employee at that point in time. It, it, this is, it's complicated, isn't it, and hard to track for, for, for people if, if so, if, if people aren't measuring this well, what is the liability? So the liability here is they may be denying leave requests that they should have been approving, and then they're out of compliance. So they could be liable to that employee for back wages. If it's uh, found to be an intentional violation, they could have to pay two times that amount as liquidated damages. There are also, you know, there's injunctive relief that the government could issue telling the employer that you have to stop. Uh, doing this, and, and then uh, the employee could also recover their attorney's fees and costs. So pretty significant exposure uh, for the employer who doesn't determine eligibility appropriately. The other thing the employer wants to remember, too, is that these tests are complicated in and of themselves, but another complexity is at what point in time in the leave cycle should they be doing the tests. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I think maybe we need to point it out a little bit more uh, definitively so people understand the different tests. So the employer coverage test, we talked about the fact that it's this year or last year, so it's really going to be a much broader length of time. When you talk about the size of the office the employee reports into, you want to make that determination when the employee tells the employer they need leave. So if the employee tells the employer very early they need leave, maybe it's a pregnancy situation, the employer has to look right then and there, how big is the office they report into. But the employer isn't doing the tenure or the hours work test until the employee actually starts leave. Hmm. Another layer of complexity that if those tests aren't done at the right time, an employer might be denying leave that they should have been approving. You know, it, it does make you wonder, maybe just to be safe, um, you know, let's just give everyone FMLA, you know. Uh, isn't being generous a good idea here because then you're not, you know, exposing yourself? One would think it would be, but it actually is not. Um, so we're going to talk in our next episode, so please join us, about the fact that an employer cannot deem an employee eligible for FMLA when they're not eligible. So a little teaser there. Um, please join us for our next episode because we will go into why that seemingly great idea is not a great idea at all. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ellen, and thank you everyone for joining us. Be a part of our conversation. Please send us an email, dro drop us a voicemail. The information is in the show description. Tell us your thoughts and let us know your questions. Thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you.
Unum is a registered trademark and marketing brand of Unum Group and its insuring subsidiaries.